Iguodala, and here it comes. He got it! The Warriors have won on a team-winning shot by Andre Iguodala! Live in the entertainment capital of the world. A Smith screen. Posey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no record for human life! It's the T.C. Martin Show. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. And Saul says, pay pass a big ticket. T.C. Martin. Oh, here comes the Birdman. Flapping his wings and soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things. With that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Ole. Ole. Here we go, baby. Wild Wednesday it is. Middle of a work week, hump day. Hump day. You know that hump day. Hey, met some people from Pahrump. And they call it the hump too. The hump to Pahrump. Because everybody I know calls it over the hump to Pahrump. Because there actually is a hump. There's a hump there. That you actually have to drive. Yeah. But those of us know that there are another reason for the hump and prop as well. So, yeah. Right? It's the bunny ranch, baby. The bunny ranch. Well, it's legal to hump and prop. It is. Okay. You gotta like that. And then you go to uh, over a hump. I didn't realize that they actually got snow in uh, that as well, too, up there. You know, they get snow in Pahrump? They always get snow. So they didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I was invited to come up to Pahrump. And I go, I don't know about that drive. I don't think I've ever made the drive to Pahrump. If I did, it was like many, many, many years ago. Do I so, want to make that drive? Isn't like an hour? Yeah. I think something like that. 45 to an hour, depending on where you live. And then you add snow into that, and it's like yes. an hour and a half now. And then the darkness thing, too. You know, you throw on a winter that, night. That, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if I'm down for that. You know, even though it could be rewarding at the end. What do you think? I mean, it, you could, go? it could be. You no. Go? Well, you're an expert when it comes to that stuff. Here's the thing. Yeah. That's expensive as hell. The drive? No. <laughs> well, I'm not going for that. I'm not going to pay the Bunny Ranch. No, I wouldn't be going for that. That, that, that. That's what you were talking about me going to. I said I know people in Harump. Harump. Harump? Harump. Harump. Hey, what movie's that from? Harump. 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 Come on. God, what is it? What is it? What is it? Everybody, come on. Harump. 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 Mel Brooks. It's blazing sound. It is okay. Yeah, no, I. It was either that I was thinking that, or American, uh, or history of the world. History of the world. I was, yeah. I was between those. I was like, which one is it? Which one yeah. is it? I'm not sure which one. We got it both covered. Though. Yeah, take your pick. Speaking of having it all covered for you today, we got plenty of football to talk about. We will talk NFL playoffs. Hey, we're Wednesday. It's getting close. We start hyping it up. We start talking about the NFL playoffs. We've got what six games coming your way. This week, well, five that you can watch. Five that I can watch. Thank you very little. <laughs> Don't get me going again. The terrible Tuesday takes from yesterday. Yes, Steve Berline will join us. We will talk to the former quarterback, our quarterback, one of our quarterbacks. I was one say, in one A. You have like four quarterbacks. I know. I've got plenty of them, quarterbacks, and I can't. I can't distinguish who's uh, the starter, and, and I'll upset them all. We need the TC Martin All Pro Team. We, ooh. 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 Now you're talking about all sports or, all, or each well, sport? I think we need each sport. We need, we need we got an enough. all pro team. We could probably you could almost make, <laughs> you could almost have a starting five. What a roster. 
Do I got to franchise tag anybody? Because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, you know? No. Yeah. I'm, I mean, if you don't franchise tag Cartwright, he might get a little angry at that. That's what I'm saying. This is so, I mean, like... You know? Well, you already know Schrader and Berline. Yeah. I mean, I got to appease them both. They both get upset. All you got to do is give them chicken. They'll be fine. That's true. They both like the chicken. Who doesn't like the chicken? Trevor Match will join us. We'll put a bow and a final recap on the college football championship, which Trevor was there on the broadcast side. So thought to give him a day to travel. Okay. The game was Monday night. He gets to travel, go back to Tennessee. Hopefully he's back. He's comfortable and, uh, take a deep breath. And then he will join us today. So we'll recap that and we'll talk about goodbye to the college football playoff of this uh, rendition we've had for the last 10 years of the four teams. Now we go to 12. All right. So, uh, we got that going today as well. So a lot of football, but we start today talking a little hoop, a little college hoop, of course. With Kevin Kruger, the head coach of UNLV, because the Rebels, victorious last night, 83-73, get a big-time victory over New Mexico, who was 13-2 and coming into the contest last night at the Thomas and Mack Center, and the Rebels went wire to wire. It seemed like the, the game was never in doubt. They had some injuries, but they persevered like their head coach, and they got it done. Kevin, what's going on, man? Not too much. What's going on with you guys? Good, man. Good, good. Congratulations. Nice victory last night. And, uh, you know, as I'm watching that game last night, I'm, I, I had flashbacks to the Dollar Loan Center of, of the game against Creighton, which was very, very similar where, you know, you guys came in as a slight underdog, but you took it to them. You took it to Creighton. You took it to New Mexico. You guys shot the lights out. And I don't know if, You've thought about that or not. I know, you know, you don't like to compare games and this, that, but it just seemed like this, the focus and the shooting, uh, were, were, were very similar to those two games. Yeah, it was really good, uh, really good day for us. And, uh, we came out with a great start. Um, knew that we needed to get off to a good start, a very, uh, very good New Mexico team and a very hard team to defend. And I just thought our intent was great from, from start to finish and, uh, definitely one of our more complete games on the year. Now, you did have some injuries, you know, coming into this game as well, too, and the bench was uh, was shrunk down a little bit. How much of a concern uh, was that for you? Yeah, you know, learning that uh, Jalen would be out for the year, and then uh, uh, Isaiah had a little injury in, in practice that we're hoping to get him back uh, soon from. But, uh, yeah, I was a little concerned, just two bigger bodies, a lot of experience, and uh, been really unfortunate and sad situation for Jalen playing, you know, coming back home and, and now it'll end up only playing in six games uh, this season, and uh, so you, there's a little nerves there because you don't know, that, you know, how everyone's going to react, how everyone's feeling. It can take a toll on people, you know, as friends in the locker room. Uh, but the guys bounced back and 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 played incredibly hard, and I think a, a large reason for it was because uh, they realized one of their one of their teammates was uh, down and out, and you know, and again they just they just had a great couple days of prep and. And getting off to a good start was really, really important for us. Hey, you mentioned Jalen Hill. I mean, coming back home, uh, he had the wrist injury. He ended up only playing seven games, uh, this year and he comes back after, you know, missing nearly a month and a half, uh, the San Diego State game plays 14 minutes and then, you know, he, he tears, uh, the ACL, right? And that was just, uh, just, just treacherous for him and you guys as well, too, because, I'm sure that you probably felt, okay, the wrist injury is behind him. Here we go now. And then that happens. I mean, just so unfortunate. 
Well, it really is. You know, this group, uh, you know, with uh, Keelan's eligibility coming halfway, Shane missed, I think, believe the first eight games with an ankle. Um, you know, Isaiah's kind of had a, uh, been kind of in and out a little bit and, and battled through a lot of things. And then, of course, it, it, we kind of went in the San Diego State game knowing it's obviously a really tough place to play, but there was um, some excitement around having the roster back and having all the guys back. And then, you know, you, you blink your eyes and, you're, and two guys are out for the next one. So, but the guys uh, did what was asked of them, um, regardless of uh, what it, what they had been working on and and what their kind of personal agendas or personal goals even aside. Uh, you know, they went out and did everything we had to do to get a win, and uh, and I thought that uh, as a group they did that uh, pretty much close to perfection. Yeah, it was fantastic, and you know, it, it just feel bad for you as well too, and and the squad because you really never had that full complement of roster. You know, from the beginning of this season, there is, like you said, the the craziness with the NCAA, the suspensions. You know, uh, then you had you know the injuries and everything else. It's just, uh, you know, I'm sure you know when you looked at you know the beginning of the summer, you're thinking like, hey man, you know we're gonna be pretty solid. We got depth, uh, we got talent, we got players, but you just have not had a full roster for I I can't think of of any game or games this season. Yeah, we had it for 14 minutes. And yeah, you know, you go into the season and you, you got five fifth year seniors. Um, you got a, a great group of guys returning. Uh, then you got guys you're familiar with, of course, uh, having recruited Jalen in high school and he played for my dad for two years. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Coach Cooper had worked with the Boone Twins at Oklahoma State. So there's, there's a lot of things, uh, just from a roster standpoint in the summer to be excited about. And then just kind of right off the bat, we were, uh, we hit a little road bump with, uh, with some injuries and some eligibility and, and then, uh, you know, you get the lift the day that Keelan's eligible at Creighton and then we've got other injuries to deal with. So, but, uh, we're, we're, we're still excited about going forward. We thought yesterday was a great, a great, uh, game for us and something to build on. And, uh, now we just got to get ready for another really good team coming in on Saturday. You got it. The boom uh, twins you mentioned 46 points they combined for last night. Uh, Caleb with 29, Keelan with uh, 17. Uh, talk a little bit about those guys playing together and now, you know, into shape, rounding out now. Just, just talk a, a little bit, not only, uh, their contributions, but, you know, how they're working in with the chemistry of everybody else. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, they both, uh, for being twins, you know, they, they, they do it in different ways. Of course, Caleb more around the basket, Keelan more on the perimeter, but, you know, their length, their experience is, uh, is something that we knew was going to be pivotal for this year. Um, just the group of guys we had and being able to, to, to go back to, you know, four and five years in the game and, and, uh, but to see them out last night and both play well was, was really great to see because I think, uh, you know, they deserve it. They deserve this, uh, this opportunity to have a little confidence builder and a little, a little fun out there. And, and, you know, now going forward, we, we know the roster going forward. Of course, we're going to deal with injuries the rest of the year as well, but, uh, we just got to keep working and, and try to figure things out as we go. Let's talk a little bit about Rob Whaley. I mean, how about that? He had a thunder dunk there last night and almost had a, a near thunder dunk, you know, earlier on in the first half of that game. And then he went down, looked like to be severely hurt. He was down for several minutes and the crowd just got silent. And I know you walked out there. And then when I noticed you like, like tapped him on the chest three times and then you went back to the huddle. Did you know at that point in time, like, Hey, I think he's going to be okay because he came back. Delivered that that monster dunk after that, but uh, what a what a uplifting 
um, you know, player he is. Well, Rob's been great. You know, he's somebody that worked incredibly hard in the summer to get his body in a situation where he can play at the Mountain West level. And, uh, and so it's, it, it's good and, and exciting and, and happy to see him having fun and having success. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see what happened initially. So, uh, when he was down holding his, what I thought to be his knee, you know, I think just like the crowd, it was kind of like, you know, well, here we go again. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's this going to be? And, uh, walked out there and he told me it was a cramp. So just gave him a pat on the chest and, and got back to the team hoping and, well, knowing he'd be okay, but hoping he'd also be okay to return in that game. Right. Kevin Kruger joins us, head coach UNLV, our good friend here. The Rebels win 83-73 last night, defeating New Mexico team, uh, coached by Richard Patino, uh, some NBA, um, uh, uh, fathers, sons on that team, Jamal Mashburn, uh, uh, junior, then you had, uh, you know, Eddie House's uh, kid playing last night. And New Mexico came in here uh, w- full of fire, but you guys really took it to him. You shot 50% from the floor. You hit 46% from beyond the arc, 10 of 22 there. And what really impressed me, Kev, is you forced 16 turnovers, you know, and uh, it wasn't they were just, you know, throwing the ball all over the court. It was that you guys were putting pressure, you know, on them. Talk a little bit about the, the attention to defense last night. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you're getting ready for a team like New Mexico with as much firepower as they have, your, your concern is that, uh, you know, we'll be a little timid. And that, uh, and I thought the guys just did a good job of doing the opposite. They went out there and realized that we had to compete every second of the game and we had to do everything we could to play as hard as we could, uh, to give ourselves a chance to win a game. And, and that was what, uh, I was most impressed and most happy with the guys about was just that they competed throughout the entire game. They uh, stuck with what we had talked about as a group. Um, we made plays for each other. We made each other's lives easier. And uh, and that's what uh, good teams do. And that's what I think, uh, and I've said from day one, I think this is a team that's going to continue to get better as the year goes on. And I think so far we have done that. And, uh, of course, we've had some some slip-ups. But, you know, at the same time, I think we're uh, we're going to keep getting better. We're going to keep uh, competing. And, and hopefully we can get some wins along the way. <laughs> All right, Utah State coming to town Saturday, a 12 noon game. CBS Sports Network will have the, have that televised. Want everyone to get out to the Thomas and Mack Center, uh, for this game. But talk a little bit about Utah State. They basically had no returning starters, if, if I'm correct here. And I remember this, but they're still having one heck of a season. And it just seems like that program continues to reload. We know Ashworth, their, their fine guard, seems like he's been there for 12 years. Uh, he, he went to Creighton. You, you saw him earlier this year. But like I said, Utah State, always dangerous. Uh, talk to us about Saturday's game. Yeah, I think uh, they're definitely, uh, in terms of the surprise from the beginning of the summer, of course, when, when Danny got the job up there to where they are now, I don't think, I think they returned zero points right. from last year's roster. So, uh, certain done, he's done an unbelievable job there. They're playing with a ton of confidence. They're having a bunch of fun. Uh, they play incredibly hard. And, uh, and in the Mountain West, I mean, from here on out, it's going to be, it's going to be dogfight every night. And, uh, and I think the guys will be excited for it. A ranked team coming into the Thomas and Mac. And we know we got to do our best to protect home court. And, you know, every night's going to be that way in the Mountain West. So we got to, we can't, we can be excited and happy about last night, but we got to turn our attention pretty quick over to Utah State. Yeah. And I know we touched upon this before, but, uh, what a, a crazy start or at least, you know, a toughness, uh, start to this Mountain West Conference schedule. You open at San Diego State, 
You get New Mexico at home, Utah State at home. Then you got to go on the road next week to face Boise State and Colorado State. I mean, wow. I mean, it's a tough schedule. But again, hey, one and one right now, and you got a chance to improve on that. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to play them at some point. Yep. You got to play everybody in conference. So, uh, but it is a. Uh, it's also a great opportunity for us to say, to sit down and say, you know, we can't worry or think about anything other than the game in front of us, uh, the day in front of us of what we got to do to get as much out of the day as we can. And, uh, that's why I think it, it was great to see last night, you know, guys bounce back from an incredibly tough physical, uh, game at San Diego State where really we just felt like the first five or six minutes are what doomed us in that game. And, uh, we'd love to have that start back, but, uh, I think last night just showed that the group recognized it and uh, and did everything they could to to understand that it's got to be 40 minutes. We can't lose our spark, and we had to keep going because even when they made a run there in the second half, I thought we did a good job of uh, kind of settling down and getting good quality looks, knowing that they were they were going to keep going for the entire 40 minutes. Yeah. Kevin, we'll let you get back to work. Appreciate the time as always. Congratulations on the victory last night. Uh, great stuff. Great watching it, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, well, I know you'll be on the road next week, but uh, good luck on Saturday. We'll be out there watching that as well, too. A 12-noon start as the Rebels take on Utah State. Take care, my man. All right. Appreciate it, guys. You got it. There he is, Kevin Kruger, the head coach at UNLV Rebels. Impressive last night, 83-73. And, again, you know, with this program, you you know that you've got a guy who cares passionately about this team, does a fantastic job of recruiting. Uh, his dad is there for support to lean on, and we talk to him both all the time, Kevin and Lon. And I know that the fan base is apathetic at times, and especially when they lose games. And you open up the Mount West Conference season at San Diego State. This is a team that went to the national championship game last year in Houston. And they returned several of key pieces to that team, and they're going to be another team to deal with. The Mount West this season is the best that I've seen in a long, long time. And I've talked a lot about in years past, like people saying, hey, you're going to get four teams to go to the NCAA tournament. Okay. And you've had that last couple of years. But this year, you actually got, you know, legitimate teams. And the way that the, the Rebels have to open up this season, San Diego State, New Mexico, Utah State, Boise State, Colorado State, that's your top five. Top five in any particular order. You could flip them. And remember, we talked about this last year at this point in time, too, where the standings can flip. It's not like you have one great team and then everybody else. And San Diego State ended up emerging. But remember, Boise State was, was at the top for a lot. Utah State was there, always hanging around, and they had uh, plenty of returning talent. But now, you know, a lot of people anticipated that it was going to be a down year for the Aggies. And look at the start they're off to now. So, you know, you got double-digit wins, you know, coming into the uh, start of the year, January here, with all of these teams that I just mentioned. New Mexico State came in here 13, or rather New Mexico came in 13-2 and two last night. Now they're 13-3. and three. And the Rebels took it to him. That's all he could say. Creighton came in here, all right? Might have been a great spot for UNLV. You know, Creighton was playing Alabama three days later. They come over here to, uh, they played the game in Vegas at the Dollar Loan Center. And UNLV took care of business, fell behind, right? Eight nothing, eight two, and then boom, 
put the pedal to the metal, they never looked back. And that was the same way last night. UNLV jumped, it up, jumped out of that early lead and never looked back and uh, stretched the lead to as many as 17 at one point. The lead got down to nine with about five and a half minutes to go in the game. And then the Rebels took care of business, ended up winning by 10. So they held on last night with uh, out uh, without two key players, Isaiah Cottrell and Jalen Hill. And as we know, Jalen Hill, unfortunately, out for the rest of the season. Just very unfortunate. Tears the ACL there Saturday uh, at San Diego State. But, again, it's basketball time. We flip the calendar, right? College football is over. We now look to college basketball, March Madness. We're right smack dab in the middle of all the conference races right now. And UNLV is, uh, you know, playing well right now. All right, they, they lost San Diego State. They beat New Mexico. Let's see what they do Saturday afternoon against Utah State. And they got a very, very tough stretch. And if they could get through this stretch, going three and two, four, one, and then you got Air Force, and then you got Wyoming, and those are going to be victories. Those no excuse for for not winning those games. San Jose State not very strong this year. So there's another one. So big stretch for the Rebels. Let's see if they can uh, they can get through this year. All right, so a lot more basketball, of course. We'll be talking about uh, as uh, the season progresses here, but plenty of football, as we know, especially with the NFL. And we are going to be talking to you know, Trevor Maddich at the top of the hour when we talk to him uh, regarding the college football national championship, put a bow on that because uh, he was there on the broadcast side. But some major news coming up. College football. Nick Saban retiring. That's right. Nick Saban officially retiring. Now, this is going to catch a lot of people off guard, especially for the team that Nick Saban had this year with a quarterback who was really learning with freshman Jalen Milrow. He's coming back next year to lead this team. Alabama, again, has one of the best recruiting classes in the entire country. And there were that fraction of people who thought, okay, maybe Alabama's not that good. And what they do, and they put this monster win streak together, won 10 games in a row, and came in as the number, what, four seed in the college football playoff and gave Michigan everything they wanted. Much better game than what we saw in the championship game a couple nights ago when Michigan just steamrolled Washington. And we were talking about this last week, like, wow, it's too bad because you got this semifinal game really could be and should be the national championship game because those are the two best teams that were playing well at the end of the season. Alabama ended up losing by a touchdown in overtime, and now that'll go down as Nick Saban's last game of his coaching career. Say college coaching career? Will he make an attempt back at the NFL? I don't think so. 70 years old, Nick Saban is done. Seven national titles he won. And he's retiring after 17 seasons in Tuscaloosa at Alabama. So that is the breaking news of the day. Uh, rather shocking because I don't think anybody anticipated that he would be calling it quits. Because you've really never seen anything from Nick Saban that says, okay, he's slowing down. He's, you know, his health is failing. We haven't seen any of that. 
I mean, again, I always say it. This guy's still got the best head of hair in all, in all, in all of uh, college football, right? Now, also transitioning into that, we get news today on the NFL side. Former college football coach who did a fantastic job at SC has been with the Seattle Seahawks for more than a decade, and that is Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll announced today that he is stepping down as head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Another guy I've always been jealous of because a great head of hair. These guys are much older than me, much older than me, and they kept their hair. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Hey, what am I talking about? I look across, look at Nunchucks, who's much younger than me, and he's got less hair than me. Sorry. You know, everyone's taking stabs at me all the time. I know. I, it and was, I've never, it, it, I've it never, was coming. I've never taken a step okay. at you, but it's okay. But it's okay. I always have the hat, so yeah. we're good. Yeah. And I, I no, never understood why you can get those headphones on over the hat. See, I can't do it. It's, it's too hot. I know. It's again. just like that. Yeah. See how easy yeah. that is? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me adjust my headsets. Hold, hold on. Hold on. There you go. There. Well, hold on. Hold on. We're not, we're, we're not perfect yet. Testing. Hello. Now we're good. Good. What's more of a shock? Nick Saban or Pete Carroll? Pete, I think. Pete's more of a shock? Pete, Pete is more of a shock. Okay. Because I don't think he has more than a couple years left in him to coach. Pete? He is, uh, he is 72. Mm-hmm. Pete has that fire. He, he, does, he does have that fire. But he did. their team did not make the playoffs this year. And you kind of felt like, hmm. And we're, they were kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors. Yeah. When you're looking at... Geno Smith is your quarterback. And we just haven't really expected much from Seattle over the last few seasons. If anything, they've overachieved. And that's credit to Pete Carroll. I don't think anybody can win with Geno Smith as their starting quarterback. Can't happen, shouldn't 100%. happen. You know? So maybe it was just time where Pete, because he said all the right things. I would listen to Pete every week, do press conferences, and do interviews. And... He always held out this great hope. And I'm thinking like, man, Pete, your, your team really is not that good. This is not that team with the staunch defense, the Legion of Boom. Even though Bobby Wagner came back, he was still there. But for the most part, they were good defensively. Heck, they were better probably defensively than they were offensively. DK Metcalf, fine, fine receiver. You know, Will Disley, you know, good tight end. The running backs, you know, Kenneth Walker came over from TCU. Yeah. So they were starting to get it together, but Geno Smith. And that's where it stops for me, like Geno Smith. And maybe the Seahawks were just said, hey, you know what? We're married to Geno. Maybe Pete said, you know, he's not the guy. Can't win with this guy. So we'll get more reports. So I, there's a picture and video of Pete at his last home game. Yeah. He's standing in the end zone. Just kind of looking. So, like, after seeing that picture that was just released yesterday or today, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like, I think he knew. I think he knew this was it. Probably. And I think that I think I heard them say that they're leaving him as a team. He's a special advisor. Yeah. Now I don't know what special advisor means because here's the thing: if this was Pete Carroll's call. Because here's the thing we don't know. And if you're getting any reports, let me know. If this was a Seattle Seahawks front office call, or was it Pete Carroll's call to part ways, step down, or whatever. They're not parting ways, so we shouldn't use that term. 
because the, he's hanging on as a special advisor. And basically what this means is Pete can show up to the facility anytime he wants. He's going to get a paycheck, and they're going to tap into him say, Hey, Pete, who do you think we should hire as head coach? Hey, what do you think about these personnel decisions? And Pete's not going to be held accountable for anything. It's usually a courtesy check and a courtesy job that you get when you're the special advisor. How much weight is going to, is he going to carry? Who knows? But it's a way to go out and save face. Now, Pete Carroll wanted to leave Seattle and say, you know what? I still got some fire in me. I want to coach. I want to coach a playoff contender in my last two or three years that I feel that I still have it. Then I think we would not have this special advisor thing. Pete Carroll will just say, okay, I'm leaving the organization. Boom. You want to, you know, I was just going to say, now give me a retirement party and send me out. Okay. That's fine. But uh, I still want to coach. Can he coach somewhere? If he, if he wanted to with the special advisor role, can then, he? Then obviously, you know, they would have to take that title away. Yeah. He's not under contract with that. Can he go so, to college? I, he could do whatever he wants. No, I'm saying with the college, with the special advisor role. No, no, no. no. I mean, he, that's his job right now. So he's under contract. Yeah. He, he would be under contract for that. So my point of the matter is if he has agreed to be a special advisor to the Seattle Seahawks, that says basically, that's one foot into retirement. That's it. And so maybe there are some health issues. Who knows? But you couldn't tell with Pete Carroll moving up and down the sideline and running and, and probably running a four nine forty and chewing his gum the way he does. I don't think health is the answer, but we don't know. You never know about these things. We don't know if Nick Saban has any health issues. You just don't know. Seattle is looking for or looking to Dan Quinn. Makes sense. A little history there. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, there's there's all kinds of uh, of coaching news, you know, coming your way. So uh, we'll give you another one. I, I guess we can call this breaking news. So it's funny, you know, we talked about the coaching changes, and we, we reeled off everything that was uh, happened the last couple of days, and. Remember we said there'd probably be six or seven coaches opening and we're, we're getting to that because at, on Monday, Pete Black was Monday, seven. there was like, there was like three, right? Pete is right. seven. There you go. So all the talk about the Raiders, should they retain Antonio Pierce? Should he come back? Is he going to be the man? And we've been talking about Jim Harbaugh and other things. And the Raiders have announced that they are looking at general managers and they're starting that interview process now we went over those candidates yesterday right so the news comes out today that antonio pierce is now interviewing for the tennessee titans shouldn't come of too much of a shock but for people to think that okay well it's antonio pierce's job to lose or whatever hey, if you're antonio pierce you can't sit around and wait for the Raiders. Yesterday, Tennessee dropped the bombshell of Mike Vrabel was fired after six seasons. Had a winning record. The lone coach of this group that that leaves uh, with a winning record, obviously, aside of Pete Carroll, but as of yesterday when he got fired, 54-45, and 6-11 this season, below 500 with the Titans two straight seasons, but the Titans had all kinds of injury problems. He was coach of the year just two years ago in 2021 was Mike Vrabel. And... I don't agree. I, I didn't agree with this. So the Titans are not wasting any time. Who did they make their first candidate 
to set up an interview, the very first one, Antonio Pierce. Antonio Pierce, their first candidate. So that tells you that they are serious about Antonio Pierce. Maybe more serious than Mark Davis may be. Don't know. But, but there's an interesting twist with that. All right. So we'll talk more football, more NFL stuff. Uh, when we come back, we will talk to our good friend Steve Berline. We'll talk about the playoffs, coaching changes, and more as uh, we're rolling here on a Wednesday. The Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame induction celebration is back Sunday, February 4th at the brand new venue at Thunder Valley Casino Resort. Join us as we induct the class of 2024. NBA champion Matt Barnes, all-star James Donaldson, Major League Baseball's Nick Johnson and Leon Lee, and world champion triathlete Jamie Whitmore. Get your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. For all info, go to SacSportsHOF.com. Hi, this is Dusty Baker, proud member of the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. You have to be there to see it at Thunder Valley Casino. All right, let me put some water on your ball. More from the master debater. Martin. You never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. Alright, make sure you go over and check out MJ1 over at Mandalay Bay. It is fantastic. I mean, you're going to hear this, you hear every song. That's, well, not every song, because there's too many songs, but uh, it's one of the best. Uh, especially there at the Cirque du Soleil. Uh, get your tickets at the Mandalay Bay box office, Cirque du Soleil. And we've got tickets uh, to give away for that as well, too. So uh, hang tight for that. But uh, always a great time. One of my all-time favorite shows. i got to say, my all-time favorite show is MJ1. Uh, Ten-year anniversary happening right now as we speak in year number 10. But uh, love that show. All right. Don't forget, speaking of shows, uh, back at the Westgate Las Vegas, our Friday home. We were there last Friday. We were there this Monday for championship uh night and uh, of course watch the game there the great food options everything else there but come on by see the show as we get ready for the nfl playoffs as the college season is now behind us but we've got some great playoff games coming your way this weekend uh a couple on saturday three on sunday and one on monday yes we have monday night football again for the second year in a row here the playoffs. I don't know. We'll dive into all that with our next guest, quarterback, Steve Berline. What is going on, my friend? Hey, man. What's going on? What's the good word? Uh, it's all good. You know, let's see. I got, I got some food. I got some, uh, some playoff action. Uh, what more do you need, man? I got it all. <laughs> Tell me what you need, man. <laughs> well, well, the chicken be nice, but, uh, uh, you know, other than that, I think I'm pretty good. Maybe. A tea time. A tea time? Uh, yeah, it's a little cold a for that right now. A little cold for that, but that's okay. Oh, come on. A little cold for that. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, we got 44 degrees here. You know, you like that? You want to golf in 44? Is it? Yeah. It's, it's up to you know, 49. Oh, we're at 49 right now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not raining, I would still find a way to make it happen. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a mutter. I'm a mutter. You know, I, I don't mind the cold and I don't mind. I, I, I should say, let me take that back. I mean, I, I would not play golf in the cold rain in that weather, although I have before. Yeah. In fact, I did it, I think it was the year was probably 1992. <laughs> I did it with uh, an old friend of mine, Bill Bates. He's a legendary yes. former Dallas Cowboy player. We were playing on a Tuesday during the season. It had to be 
uh, this, you know, December, whatever, maybe even playoff time. And, uh, we were driving up the ninth fairway, absolutely miserable. And, uh, we, he looked at me and he said, what the blank are we doing out here? And I said, I have no freaking idea. And he said, let's go bowling for God's sake. So we went bowling. Oh my goodness gracious. We finished nine though. We got through nine. Oh man. Yeah. I don't know. Now, now listen now. Um, I just say this because you say it, you know, you're at an advanced age now, my friend. You're coming off uh, the surgeries. I don't think you need to be golfing in the forties. Okay. You don't need to be golfing 40 degree weather. It might not be conducive to your current condition. How about if we just say that? So let, let me just, let me just <laughs> stop you right there. Okay. Number one, advanced age. <laughs> that, that is, uh, uh, an absolute, uh, uh, I will never, ever, uh, go along with that description, uh, correlation of my, my, I don't care how old I am. Um, even if it might be true, I will never agree with you on that one. Um, and number two, I always like proving that I can handle the circumstances and situations that are difficult that most people would wilt. Under, I, I love those challenges. So I, I, I'm one of those guys that if I've made a tee time, I am going to go unless they will not let us out on the golf course. <laughs> that's kind of what's my mentality. So yeah, um, just just understand that before you start spewing these <laughs> falsehoods. <laughs> not falsehoods at all. Again, I I, I kind of swore you might have. Uh, you never used that term, whatever, but. You're telling me it's like okay, you know, yeah, I think it's more just injury related. You know, it was the the, the post surgery that you had to take it easy, but no, you bounced back fine after the surgery. You said that. I mean, you're you're feeling good. That's all. But I just don't know. I don't want to golf in, in the in the cold, man. No one wants to golf in the cold. There's you got plenty of of other great months, especially here and then where you live. So you could just take a couple months off of of uh, yeah. you know getting tea times, man. Well, you know it's. It- it's one of those things. I'm never going to be the one that suggests it. If the rest of the group right. decides that it's not it's not going to happen, I'll try to coax them into it. Uh, but if they if they don't have the ability to kind of rise to the challenge, then I'll go along with them. Uh, but we, we have to have some some alternative, uh, some competitive alternative uh, that involves also uh, the the. Uh, proper libation uh option as well there has to be the cold cold beverages and something competitive going on even if it's just going back into the clubhouse and rolling some dice right or doing something along that those lines i'm i'm up for it okay so here but, here we go so we we both you know we got we're the lovers of the chicken here so how many how many of those wings can you put down how many buckets could you go yourself all right if i if i put at Burline at the at two and a half buckets. Are we taking the under or the over? Well, it depends again on the situation now. So I am, I am old enough to not feel like I've got to stuff myself, uh, to the point where I'm uncomfortable <laughs> at this age. I'm trying to shed pounds. Ah, at this age. See, there it is. There's the terminology. Yeah. At this, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't mean advanced age. I meant at this age. There's the breaking news. At this age, at this age, the, the goal and the challenge is to lose weight. Yeah. So I'm not trying to gain weight. But if there is a, a wager at stake, so if it is a competition, 
uh, I could probably step up to the to the to the plate, and I could probably get through. I would take the over on that. Okay, I like it. I like it. On a bucket of chicken. Oh man, hey, yeah. I've been on. And okay. Not not to make you jealous, but you brought it up. But I have been on a great chicken roll lately. You know, it's been like my Friday nights uh, routine here. Where I've, I've gone through about a bucket of chicken probably the last four or five Friday nights, you know, and, uh, wow. and, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll be dining there again this weekend as well with, uh, one of, um, uh, the, not your colleague because he's a different sport, uh, but, uh, taking the coach, uh, <laughs> old Pete Gillen, uh, he'll be in town doing a broadcast for UNLV basketball and, uh, we're, 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 we're hitting blue ribbon on Saturday. Well, I, I love that. I love that. And, you know, the the only uh, I would say that would be the perfect way to end the day. I could I could picture yeah. the perfect my perfect vision right now, heading out there, uh, playing you know getting in eighteen holes or or even more eighteen twenty seven thirty six on one of the great golf courses out there, enjoying the day with a few cold beers whatever it might be, and then coming in finishing up meeting up at Cosmo and. Yeah. Going over there, having some chicken at that blue ribbon, and then uh, let the rest of it take care of itself. I mean, what a great day that would be! That's it. All right, and uh, as you know, you, uh, my friend, you we're can here. Live that every day, if you right? You can live that every day if you want to. So uh, we're here. So all you have to do is just come on down, and uh, we'll oblige. All right, they got to do it. All right, all right, all right. We, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that happen. I love it. I love it. Steve Berline joins us. All right, uh, <laughs> woo! NFL Monday quarterback. Uh, our guy. Are we done? No, we're not. Are we done? done? Are we? No, we haven't started oh. yet. Now, now, the breaking news. <laughs> now I know you're busy and you've probably been driving around, but I don't know if you've heard the breaking news or not today. So, um, we just talked I about think it. I did. Okay, you did. So, what's more of a shock to you, as we have two, I guess, so-called retirements here: Nick Saban leaving Alabama, Pete Carroll out with the Seahawks. What's more of a shock to you? You know, I, I think um, I think Saban is more of a shock uh, to me because, uh, although when you think of it, I mean, what, what is it, six national championships? Seven, uh, or seven what, actually. I'm, I'm six, not, six with Alabama, seven, one with LSU, yeah. Okay, yeah, seven national championships and uh, all that he's accomplished. He's now in his 70s and... You know, uh, he's, he and his wife are enjoying good health. And, That'd be advanced age, know, right, Steve? He's at an advanced age. Well, I'm sure he'd probably get pissed off if I said that about <laughs> him as well. So, uh, I would say just, you know, he's got, uh, his health and they've got, you know, still got some good time in front of him, uh, bar, you know, God willing. And, uh, I understand it for sure. This, uh, this year had to probably take a lot out of them, you know, going down the way that one went down against Michigan in the, the semifinals. And, uh, you know, there's nothing more that he has to prove. He's going to be regarded as one of, if not the greatest college coach of all time. He's, he's definitely in the top two or three. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm happy for him and, and proud of him. And I, I'm glad that he and his wife are going to get to enjoy some really, really cool years coming up off of the two of them, I'm sure. Pete Carroll, I think it was probably, it's a shocker for sure, because he's, he's doing great, uh, you know, physically as well and, and all he's accomplished. Um, but, but I understand why the Seahawks would potentially want to, uh, make a move and, and, but still keeping him involved and doing it the right way. I think, uh, I think every, 
Pete probably saw the writing on the wall and realized this was a great scenario. Uh, uh, and for the same reasons too, you know, for him, him to be able to not have the stresses on him as a full-time head coach up there and the grind of being in that position, I think, uh, probably when he stepped back and thought about it, probably seemed like a pretty good uh, option and, you know, he's still going to be involved and, and have a, a hand in the what's going on there, but uh, not not as much of a, um, you know, shocker either. I, neither one of them, when you really think about it, are overly surprising, uh, but yet I, I didn't expect either one of them. All right. All right, my friend, we got NFL playoffs. Here we go. Uh, before we get into these matchups here, what do you think of the format here of – you know, since we expanded to seven teams in each conference, where only the number one seed gets the bye. You a fan or not a fan? You know, I, I like it. Um, I, I do like it. it. It really puts a premium on on finishing on top in either conference, obviously. And, and uh, you know, it, it does keep the suspense going through, um, you know, that final week of the season, much more so with all the, the different uh, possible uh, you know, developments that can take place. And we saw a lot of it again this year with all the what ifs. And, um, you know, it, it, there is a, an argument to be made that, you know, maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers don't deserve to be in the, in the playoffs or, you know, a number, number seven seed in general, uh, deserve to be in the playoffs. But, um, you know, I think it, it just, you know, if you don't, if you want to have the buy, end up getting that number one seed. You know, that's just the bottom line right there. So uh, I do like the way that it's it's worked out um, and, and all the different variables have come into play. So I am a fan of, of this, this free structuring uh, for sure. All right. Uh, tell me who you like here, man. Uh, some team has got to run the table to win four games coming up here in the next five weeks. Who's going to run the table? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the favorites have to be, um, you know, Baltimore and San Francisco again, going into the, the, the two number, number one seeds. Um, you know, they're the favorites for, for good reason. They deserve to have, be in that position. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be hard to pick anybody that you put ahead of them. Now, you know, we've documented, uh, the last several weeks and, and throughout the course of the season, that I, I'm a big fan of the Buffalo Bills. Um, I, you know, I, I, I love Josh Allen and, uh, even though he's, you know, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna make you scratch your head every once in a while. So did Brett Favre. So did John Elway. So did a lot of these other, uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. He's, he's got the ability to carry a team. And, um, you know, I like the way they're playing right now. Uh, even though they didn't have their best game against Miami down in there on, on, on Sunday night, it, uh, they still found a way to get it done when they had to. So I, I look at them as kind of a dark horse and a team that could go into Baltimore and, uh, and, and come away. It wouldn't surprise me if they were come out of that, uh, with a victory. Uh, obviously I expect the Chiefs to play, uh, better than they have been at this time of year, but, um, I just don't think they have the same, uh, swagger going into these playoffs that um, has been, you know, really consistent over the last several years. So I'm not as afraid of them as I have been in the past. Um, on the other side, you know, again, the Niners, uh, the Eagles seem to really be struggling, and I don't think anybody in their right mind could put, put them in uh, a scenario where they, they get through to the Super Bowl and find a way to get it done. 
at this point. But, you know, there, there are a couple other teams that, that, that strike me as teams that nobody really would want to play. Number one, uh, the Rams. I don't think anybody wants to play the Rams right now. Uh, I think they're a team like Buffalo uh, that you, you sit there and you say, man, it's been kind of an up and down year for them, but they're peaking at the right time. Uh, Matthew Stafford is healthy. Uh, he, I think he, their offense is better now than it's been at any point uh, since he's been there. Uh, they've got, you know, even though the Cooper Cup is not the same factor, they've got a much more diverse offense now. And, with Kyron Williams healthy and with all the different options they have in the passing game, including, you know, Cup, Cooper Cup, uh, I, I think that they're just a better offense right now with Matt Stafford's healthy health. I think, I think they, they're going to scare some people. And then I also think that the Detroit Lions, if, if, if they get on a run, if they get that confidence going, you know, Jared Goff has been there before. He's won big games before. And I think he's a better quarterback now than he was a few years ago. So, uh, those are a couple teams that, that wouldn't surprise me if they were to find a way to get through and maybe upset uh, the 49ers on the NFC side. Kyron Williams, proud product of? Yes, sir. Notre Dame, baby. Go Irish. That's it. You got it. <laughs> what a year he's having, man. I, I love that. All right, so Cleveland-Houston on Saturday, Miami-Kansas City as well, Pittsburgh-Buffalo Sunday, Green Bay-Dallas, Rams-Detroit, talked about that. And then Philly and Tampa Bay. Which game has got the utmost attention for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, 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 which game has got the utmost attention? Um, uh, let's see. Go through them one more time. I'm in my car. I, I got a, I got a picture in my head. Cleveland, right Houston. Me... Cleveland, Houston. Yeah. Miami, Kansas yeah. City. Pittsburgh, right. Buffalo. Yeah, Green Bay, Dallas. Yeah, Rams, Detroit, and then of course Philly, Tampa Bay. We don't care about that game. Well, I, I am expecting, um, and I've been saying this for a little while, but I, I'm expecting the, uh, and I've been a big Joe Flacco fan uh, for years. When yeah. he, when people were down on him, uh, you know, after they won the Super Bowl, and uh, you know, even leading up to it, there were there were a lot of people that just never really. Uh, gave him, I didn't think, the credit that he deserved. And I think right now he's riding the wave of an incredible defense. Um, you know, he's thrown more interceptions uh, in, in the, the games that he's been there than any quarterback in the NFL. And I think in the playoffs, that kind of stuff catches up with you. Um, you know, they're, they're, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Houston were to find a way to to knock them off. That game is in Houston, correct? Correct. Yes. And yeah, and yeah Cleveland so, without a uh, kicker. Remember that. I know how much you love kickers, but you need a kicker in, in the postseason, my friend. We have a lot of close games here. I would not feel comfortable about ba backing any team that has an injured kicker right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the Rams have had kicker trouble all year yeah, long. There's too. another one. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's another knock on them, too. But I, I, I think I, I like Houston at home in that game. I think they're uh, T.J. Stroud just seems to be a a gamer. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he against that great defense at home in Cleveland. I think it'd be a different story, but at home uh, in front of the home crowd, I think if he protects the football, which I think he will do because he's done a pretty good job. And I think 15 of the 17 games, um, you know, he's had one interception or less. 
And so, um, and he didn't play all 17, obviously. So there were only a couple of games where he threw more than one interception or had more than one turnover. So I think he'll step up and play well. And as long as you protect the ball against the Cleveland Browns, don't give them the short field. I, I think that uh, they'll come away with that win. I don't know what the line is on that game, but um, I, I would expect Houston to win that one. Uh, there, there's a lot of great ones, man. I, yeah. I'm excited to watch them all play off this time of year. Uh, there's just so many great storylines. Um, so I, you know, I have a hard time identifying one that is more right. exciting than the other. No, and there's a lot of great storylines. I mean, you got the Tyreek Hill situation, Miami going back to Kansas City. You got the McCarthy situation taking on Green Bay. And again, the Stafford and the golf thing, uh, the Rams and Detroit. If I got to get you to pick the winner in that game, who is it? Is it Rams or Detroit? Well, that's a good question. I told you I like them both. Um, I think the the edge obviously has to go to um uh, um the, the the home team. You got to go with the Lions. Um and what a great storyline that is with Matt Stafford going back home in that position, but um you know, I, I would I would lean slightly toward the Detroit Lions in that game, but man, I again, I wouldn't be surprised uh, the, the winner of that game, I think, is going to be a dangerous team moving forward. Um, so I give the edge to the Lions, but I like them both. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Miami-Kansas City game, Steve. But I, I don't know uh, if you're going to be able to watch this game because for the first time ever, we have a playoff game that will not be shown on any of the major networks. you got to go to Peacock. I Hopefully yeah. you can get your Peacock, my friend. And, and find a yeah. peacock. I mean, what this is ridiculous. We're talking about the top scoring team in football against the defending champs with the most popular player in Patrick Mahomes, and you got to go get a peacock. Are you kidding me? Let's subscribe. <laughs> we the NFL holding us hostage, Steve. It's pathetic. Yeah, that that really is. And I I, I would love to see them have to get up in front of of the the cameras and defend that mentality uh all the all the freaking little nickel and diamond that they do yeah. uh throughout the course of the of the NFL season and all year round really uh it it just it, it, how can you defend uh you know charging people uh holding people hostage like that i i, I hate it it's it's wrong and uh, you know they 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 the fact that they're getting all this grief they deserve it Big time, and uh, you know uh, they get no they get no support from me on this one. It's it's really it really is highway robbery, and I I, I don't know how you can defend. It. All right, so I'll tell you the plan right now. You you make your way up to Vegas Saturday morning if you want Friday night whatever, and then uh, we'll we'll go watch the game in the sports book, and then we're having chicken afterwards. How's that? That's it. I love the I love the sound of that. Yes, but but uh, Esther's I, I all for it. I, she told me Esther's all for it. <laughs> T, Tito's galore. She said, "I'm in." I, I'm not going to commit until I hear it straight from her. Okay. Um, I don't I don't trust you enough to <laughs> to, uh, to make that kind of a commitment. But I love the sound of it for sure. Okay, I'm just saying I'm throwing it out there. You know, again, you're you're rather adventurous. Throwing it out there, brother. That's you, all. you, you got, you got a place to stay for me. Not, not in the same room with you. <laughs> well, well, yeah. yeah. Well, now that you mentioned that, you had to throw that part in there, huh? You know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I will I say it is a better weekend for you to come this weekend than maybe a few weekends from now. So 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and definitely, you know, we got we got you covered for dinner. So, you know. I'm just saying, throw well, it out there. Well, let, let and and we're going to make some bets. Got to make some bets anyway. So let's go. Yeah, that's right. Well, let me let me All think right. about it. I'll get back to you on that All one, my man. You do it, man. All right, we'll let you go. Okay. Appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll look forward to this weekend's action. All right, buddy. Later. Sounds good. My guy. Take it easy. Steve Berline. NFL Monday quarterback, CBS Sports Network on Monday afternoons. Go check him out for the rest of the crew. You gotta love our chicken, don't you? More chicken, more food, nonstop sports talk coming your way. Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham spike for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. 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 Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Heaves it down. It's the doctor. Miraculous! TC Martin. It's Murray Magic! The doctor now in. Hour number two here. Continuing on. Talked a little college basketball in hour one with Kevin Kruger, the UNLV head coach. Steve Berline talking NFL and uh, the coaching changes and a great week of NFL playoff. Football. Looking forward to it. Two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and then yes, we have a Monday night football game. All right, so we start looking ahead, and of course, we've got the Westgate, the Super Bowl on Friday afternoon. Best bet. See, I said best bet. So what do you think? We've got. We'll have to take a. You know, we'll have to take the advisory council on this one on how many best bets we should do this week. I think you do two games. You think we do two games? Your best two. You think so? Yeah. Okay. You know me, I like to be consistent. We're going to have to go back in the annals of history and go back to see if we, at this stage, you see, the NFL kind of messed us up a little bit now with only, uh, you know, with one bye. Yeah. I mean, we do have six games. Yes. All right. So if we're picking three best bets of 16 games or 13 games, we only have without buys, do the math. I know you love math. F math. What's, what's the percentage, though? We F math. Go. Yeah, I understand. All right. So, yes, uh, 2 to 4 p.m., of course, at the Westgate Las Vegas. And uh, Curtis Terry's going to be coming down to join us on Friday. Talk a little UNLV hoops, college basketball. Like we said, we turned the page there. And uh, I'll tell you one guy who's happy to turn the page. I don't, don't want to speak for him. I'll let him say it himself because I know he, he loves his work. He loves college football. But it is now time that he turns the page and he gets to exhale because he does not have his crazy schedule anymore with his uh, ESPN uh, commitment for college football and the T.C. Martin Show, college football guru, uh, all of those titles he has. The 15-time Emmy Award winner, Trevor Maddich, joins us now. How's that introduction? That's an awesome introduction. I need to, I need to bring you with me everywhere I go, T.C. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's right. Well, let's book some speaking engagements and whatever else we need there. How's that? I like it. Yeah. Although, although you got to warn them, though, it takes me about 25 minutes to say my name. So, you know, it needs to be a long speaking engagement. <laughs> I love it, my friend. Hey, hopefully you got some time and you can make the trek to Sacramento here in a few weeks, man. You know? 
Yeah, I hope so. There's there's a there's a couple things I'm trying to move so I can get there, but I'm hoping to get there because oh, that's be uh, that's a very important thing, and I'm I'm very grateful for how you and Gina have done so much for the city and for the for the athletes there and for special. Olympics athletes and all the great things that you do and all the, the charitable beneficiaries that benefit from it. Appreciate that, my friend. As always, a proud member himself of uh, the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame, our good friend Trevor Maddicher. Well, Trev, you got a chance to, to now unwind hopefully a little bit, but let's talk about the college football championship game. I don't know, Trev. The hype was there. The Battle of Undefeateds. We had two great semifinal games, which we talked about last week, going down to the final play. But in the end, I don't know if you feel like I do. I just felt like let down again. Let down again because the game was not much of a contest. And it was rather disappointing, especially for those that were rooting for Washington. I know you picked Michigan, so congratulations on that, my friend. But uh, give us your take and your recap of what your eyes saw on Monday night. You know, what I saw was that it was it was Mike Tyson against Muhammad Ali in their primes. We talk a lot about that hypothetical fight because of how awesome it would be if we could, you know, get them together at the same time. And this is what this was. I mean, Michigan is Tyson. They just march right up to you and punch you in the face until you submit. Washington is Ali, who is float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. They have that incredible downfield passing attack that is nearly unstoppable when it's rolling. And Michigan needed to interfere with Michael Pennis Jr., the Washington quarterback, in the pocket. Texas didn't sack him in the semifinal the week before, but he they did pressure him 16 times. The thing is, though, they didn't get to him quite soon enough to influence the flag of the ball as it left his hand. So what Michigan did was was get there a beat faster than Texas did. They forced him to hold the ball a beat longer than Texas did because of the coverage of the Michigan secondary, which is fantastic. A great matchup with those Washington receivers. And because of that, they physically interfered with the flag of the ball as it came out of Penix's hand a lot of times, and they hit him so hard and so often that Penix stopped being the Penix that we saw against Texas, and he just became another battered quarterback as he was trying to do anything, get anything done when that pressure was coming. And and the thing is, against Texas, those 16 pressures, he completed 60% of his passes for an average of 10 yards per uh, per attempt. And against Michigan, he got to the point to where he was rushing throws. He, he wasn't scanning the field when he did have time. When the pressure was coming to him, he was he was uh, looking at the pressure instead of looking downfield for answers, you know. And so they just took Penix out of his game. And the thing about Michigan is that their top four pass or sackers, their top four sackers coming into the game were all defensive ends, and their top three defensive tackles, Michigan. Each had two and a half sacks or more. So they were able to rotate a deep rotation of actual pass rush technicians on the defensive line before they ever got to the point where they blitzed, and Washington never had an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN College Football, talking about the domination that we saw by Michigan throughout this entire season, especially then on Monday night where they defeated Washington. Washington looked like a team that, you know, again, Trevor, we talked about this. I just couldn't figure out Washington because I went against him in the Pac-12 championship game when 
you know, even when they were getting 10 points against Oregon, I'm going, ah, look at these games. I mean, barely beat Oregon State, barely beat Arizona State, uh, barely beat Washington State. And then I guess I started drinking a little purple Kool-Aid there thinking, okay, well, they rock solid against Texas. But knowing that I kind of went against my mindset of always taking the better defensive team. And, and, and Michigan definitely had that. And then they had the better running game as well, too. I don't know. I guess I needed to be slapped upside the head because, uh, while I'm watching that game unfold, it would, I just felt like, okay, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you ever feel that way when you're handicapping a game and then it goes the other way and you're going, okay, yeah, I kind of knew that would happen and it did, but kudos to Michigan. Kudos to Jim Harbaugh. Kudos to, to everyone. They played basically mistake free football as well and, uh, deservedly won that, uh, first championship since 1997. Well, that was another part of the problem for Washington. Washington's defense never really stopped Texas's running game. Texas rushed for 180 yards. They had three different rushers, Texas did, two running backs and a quarterback who averaged over six and a half yards per carry, um, and they just couldn't stop them. But in the second half, Washington's defense forced two fumbles after really good plays by Texas running backs. One was a, an eight-yard run, and then Washington forced a fumble. Another was uh, a 19-yard catch-in run by a different running back. At the end of that, Washington forced a fumble, and that kept Texas from taking over in the second half on the ground. The thing about Michigan is that they are one of the cleanest playing teams in all of college football in terms of few, fewest turnovers, fewest penalties, things like that. And so Washington wasn't ever able to, to get those stops on turnovers. Michigan didn't have a single turnover in the national championship game. And so, you know, that's where Washington needed to compensate for the fact that their defense is not terribly stout against the run. So what does Michigan do? In Early in the game, I think all in the first quarter, Michigan rips off three runs of 40-plus yards. Two of them were touchdowns. The third led to a score. And right off the bat, Washington is playing from behind. Now, after that, Washington tightened up on defense. They started playing better gap responsibility, essentially. And Michigan averaged about four yards per carry after that. But that got Michigan on a roll to where the Wolverines ran for 303 yards. They ran for 303 yards. Washington ran for 46. That's domination in the trenches that was exacerbated by the fact that Washington's running back, Dylan Johnson, was banged up pretty badly coming into that game. And then it just got worse in the first quarter, and he wasn't able to be a factor. So these all things conspired against Washington, who, coming into the game, in fairness to UTC, seemed like a team of destiny. Like, nobody could stop that passing attack when it's rolling. Texas certainly couldn't do it. And to have the national champion come from the Pac-12, a conference that was going to disappear with the when the clock hit zero at the end of this game, disappear as we know it as a conference, a century-old conference. And for Washington to go out as a champion uh, in that kind of a year and that kind of drama, it just seemed like destiny was on the side of Washington. Yeah, and uh wasn't. And Michigan, again, the, uh, winning the championship despite having their head coach miss six games due to suspension, three in the beginning and then three at the end of the regular season. But congratulations to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Michigan going forward and Jim Harbaugh going forward. Obviously, the side story, we've talked about it, you know, at nauseum about, uh, Harbaugh, maybe more suspensions, uh, you know, coming, 
If he stays, uh, you know, sanctions against the Michigan program, we don't know. You can tell us what you know, Trevor, and, and give me kind of a gut a gut feeling here, what you think will happen with Harbaugh, and then if he does depart, um, you know, which direction do the Wolverines go? Do they hire in-house, or what do you think is going to happen with Michigan here in the next week or so? Well, I'd be stunned, TC, if Harbaugh stays for another year. Michigan is very likely to, to make him an offer that he almost can't refuse, but there are multiple NCAA investigations that are open, and the, the Big Ten has closed everything. They're done, but the NCAA is still rolling, and I really doubt that Harbaugh will want to stick around so he can be slapped around by the NCAA, and so I think that's part of it, and He's also done everything that he set out to do at Michigan, which is return them to greatness. I mean, when he got there, it was, it wasn't a microwave and it took him a while to get his, his offensive and defensive coordinators set and get the right guys in there. It took him a while to get the right quarterback situation going. It took him a while to overcome Ohio State. He started out 0-5 against Ohio State and there was, there were calls, well, certainly to put him on the hot seat. Michigan actually uh, cut his salary because he didn't seem he was having a whole lot of success. He was getting paid a whole lot of money. But then what does he do? He goes 0-5 against Ohio State. Then he goes 3-0 and and wins three straight Big Ten championships. The first two of those, uh, he went to the playoff and lost both playoff games as part of six straight bowl losses. So basically up until the end of last year, coming into this year, he had returned Michigan to a Big Ten power, a Midwest power, but going only six in bowl games and losing both playoffs, they weren't a national power. They were just regional power. This year, he got over that hump by beating Ohio State again, winning the Big Ten again, but then beating Alabama, of all people, and then Washington in the national championship game. And so he said a very interesting quote at the end of that. He said, business is done. Mm-hmm. We've concluded our business, right? Which is to say, I brought Michigan back. To greatness. So now I fully expect him to move on to the NFL. All right. We'll see. Obviously, there are going to be uh, plenty of takers uh, for Harbaugh's services, and including here in Las Vegas. So we will see how all of that plays out. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, TC, can, can I mention this one thing? Sure. On the scandal. The, the big scandal is the sign-stealing scandal. Mm-hmm. Coach Harbaugh denies knowing anything about it. He denies having benefited from it. There's a whole lot of evidence that it was going on, though. The thing is, people are, millions of people are pointing fingers at Michigan saying, yeah, the only reason you guys win is because you had an unfair advantage because you, you illegally, based on the rules of the NCAA and the Big Ten, you illegally scouted for signs using electronic means, you know, at, uh, at opposing stadiums and stuff like that. Things that were not allowed to be done. Well, maybe they did have an advantage in years past. Maybe they did not. But coming into this year, the, the scandal broke into the media, and every opponent knew that this was a possibility. Every opponent, therefore, could protect themselves against their signs being stolen by having decoy signs and all the things that you do. And so this year, there is no way that anybody can say that Michigan won a single game, much less the national championship, because they had an unfair advantage because of sign stealing. They won this the old-fashioned way. They were tougher, they were stronger, they were more resilient, and they were just better. And so the sign-stealing scandal has nothing to do with this championship. Yeah, I agree with you, Trevor. Totally agree 100%. All right, so we say goodbye to the four-team playoff era. 
the 10 years where we've seen so many blowouts and championship games in semifinals. Now we look forward to the 12 team playoff and everyone has been, you know, asking for this and wanting this. Let me ask you, and they're still trying to work out certain things like how many, uh, automatic bids will there be in versus at large? We've heard, you know, five conference champions, seven at large bids. We've heard there will be six guaranteed and maybe six at-large bids. Give us your thoughts on how you think this is going to look starting next year with the 12-team playoff, and will it really be much better than the rendition that we've had for the last 10? I think it will be better. And right now it appears that with the Pac-12 changing so dramatically that it won't be the Power 5 conferences anymore. It will be Power 4. So instead of six automatic bursts of the, the six highest-ranked conference championships, I'm guessing they'll make it the five highest-ranked conference champions. Uh, what I like best about what's been proposed is that the top four highest-ranked conference champions get a bye the first week. Now, that's a big deal because it maintains the importance of conference championship games. That's one thing that the 14 playoff, you know, they just use conference champion as a tiebreaker. It's like, well, no. Should be more important than that, but now it, it really matters, especially in those top four, because, for example, Alabama and, and Georgia played in the SEC championship game this year, and from a playoff standpoint, they were both going to be in a 12-team playoff. So does it not matter? Yeah, it matters a lot, because if this were the 12-team year, Georgia would be playing the first week, and Alabama would not, because Alabama won the conference championship, and they were rewarded with the bye week, and so... That to me is very important. You know, there's a lot of people that'll, that'll be upset and there'll still be controversy over the, the last teams that make it into the field of 12. But I think overall having 12 and having it linked to conference championships, at least in the top five or so, uh, birds, I think that it keeps every region of the country and fan bases in every region of the country interested at the national level so that even if they're a conference champion, might have had uh, two losses. It wouldn't make a 14 playoff. And so it, the race would be relegated to sort of a regional sideshow. It still has national importance. And I think that's important. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we can hardly wait for that. More teams, you know, getting an opportunity. And again, but it just seems, Trevor, that we've had one or two maybe dominant teams all year. And then there's everybody else. And I really don't see that changing. And are we really going to see upsets from, say, the 12th team, you know, upsetting number five or, or whatever that is? I don't know. Uh, but it'll, it'll make for good drama, but it could come un, under a lot of, um, you know, fire as well, too, if we continue to see a whole bunch of blowouts as well, too. And another thing, too, yeah. right? We should okay. not see the, these big gaps of like 30 days off before these teams actually play a playoff game now, too. I think that's going to be a good sign. Yeah, it looks like in the first round of playoffs, they'll be at home stadiums as well. Okay. And so that that's good, because how do you ask fans to go to three or four, however many it would be, uh, games in neutral sites, you know, in order to get all the way through the national championship to include that? I mean, that's a lot to ask for fans, for goodness sake. And so I, I like it that they're, that the home stadiums are going to have a role in this as well. And it's harder, I think, in football than in basketball for a, a 12-seeded team to beat, you know, the first-seeded team, let's say, if they get to the second round kind of a thing. Because football just requires so much, and weak links in football are very hard to overcome when you're facing top-level opponents. 
basketball, you get a couple guys that can shoot, and then you play frenetic defense. And if you get hot, you can win some games, right? And that's right. where these Cinderellas come from in part in the March Madness. And so that that's wonderful. So, But I think you'll still see once in a while that happen because you see teams that start the season struggling a little bit. Maybe they have a new starting quarterback. Maybe they have a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach. And finally they, they put it together and they're a different team at the end of the season than they are at the beginning. So they might be lower ranked and lower seated, but by the time they get, you know, ready to go, they're, they're, they're a tough team. You know, I mean, you look at, for example, Arizona, you know, Arizona has been tough all year long, but they ended the, the season before the bowl game, uh, ranked 11th in the nation. And then they go and beat Oklahoma in the bowl game. And so, you know, this is a team that if they made it into the 12-team playoff, who knows what they might be able to do. All right. Great points. Uh, Trevor Manich, ESPN College Football. And uh, the biggest news uh, coming down uh, today and probably a, a shock to all of us, and that is that Nick Saban announces his retirement today. Seven national championships, six at Alabama, one at LSU. Uh, obviously, he'll go down in the conversation along with Paul Bear Bryant and Maybe Newt Rockney in going way back, but uh, being one of the greatest coaches of all time, and he steps down. Trevor, how surprised were you to hear this today? And again, your guy on the inside, were there some inklings out of Tuscaloosa or somewhere else that he was contemplating this for a while? Yeah, I had no in, inside knowledge. I had no little little birdies whispering thing to me about this. So that part of it was a surprise. But it doesn't surprise me that he's retiring now. He's always said that he, he loves what he does, and he'll do it as long as he loves it. At the same time, this season was a good one to go out on. It was an SEC championship with a team that early in the season seemed like wouldn't even make it to the SEC championship game. There were young players in key positions, including quarterback. They, the quarterback search, basically, as the season started, was a bit of a nightmare. I mean, Jalen Milrow plays against Texas. They lose that game. The next week they go to play USF on the road. And it was, you know, they were up 10 to three, I think, in the final couple of minutes of that game before they finally scored another touchdown to make it 17 to three. It should have been 75 to three, you would think. Milrow was benched for that game. They had two other quarterbacks playing. Neither one of them could do anything. And so, you know, the offensive line hadn't come together, a freshman at left tackle and, and other issues. So, it was interesting what Saban did after that. To me, this was his greatest coaching job. And I've been saying this, by the way, for months. I've been starting to hear it a little bit tonight, but, uh, the greatest, not months for, but for weeks, certainly his greatest coaching job that I've seen him do. Because often after sloppy wins or losses, he will, you know, go to the media during his press conferences and he will challenge his team's manhood because he wants to get them back to focusing with urgency during the week to do the things that will lead to success on Saturdays. These are the things that, you know, people outside the program know is the process, right? And and he'll challenge them, man. After the game at USF, he didn't do that. He spoke in general terms and quite gently about things that didn't go well because he was asked by reporters about that. Why was this game so close? But then he went on for a while about the positive things that the team did to pull out a tough win on the road. And I'm watching him do that, and I'm thinking, positive things, tough win on the road. That was USF. <laughs> now, it turns out USF was, was a bowl team. They're a pretty good team, but still, right? Well, as I've seen him this year on the outside, he had to nurture 
his team emotionally, build them up, build their confidence brick by brick before he could really challenge their manhood like he would a team that's more veteran in more places. And as he did that, he was able then to challenge them more and more and more as they saw fruit on the tree. And all of a sudden, they go from a team in disarray in September to the SEC champions having beaten Georgia, the two consecutive national championship winners, right? And so I think this has got to be one of the best coaching jobs that he's ever done because we, we, we're used to seeing Taskmaster Nick in public. We saw nurturing Nick in public. He's got both behind the scenes, but I think the way he managed that was just magnificent. And so I don't know that it would benefit him just to coach another year and try to what? To try to win another SEC championship? Well, he just did that. Uh, and he's done a lot of it. To win another national championship? Well, he's done that a lot. To find the next Alabama Heisman Trophy winner? No, he's already got a whole bunch of those. You know, what, what is it that he's going to accomplish now besides just trying to, to run it back and do it again? Uh, and where anything other than a national championship would be considered, you know, not a failure, but certainly disappointing. And so it wouldn't surprise me him being such a teacher of the game to see him in one of two places. If a, if a role for college football commissioner gets created, it wouldn't surprise me to see him there. And it also wouldn't surprise me to see him on ESPN's college game day, for example, or something like that. He's appeared on that show a lot and he's on Pat McAfee's show all the time as well. I think there's a relationship with, with that side of the media. And we may see him um, talking about football, just not coaching football next year. Right. And uh, that would mean he's a colleague of yours. There you go. So, hey, <laughs> well, good for him. Maybe that's that's what he's thinking. There you go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. could, so, could, could I have one last thing? Do we have a minute? Of course we do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just just this, that in my tours, you know, driving around the country in the off season, visiting coaches and stuff like that, I got to talk to him for about a half an hour in his office, just one-on-one. And I asked him what people should know that they really don't about why Alabama football is so successful. And I expected him to talk about, well, there's the process, and we get everybody on the same page, and we hire the right people. He didn't say any of that. Without hesitation, he said this. Our success is, is, is founded in the fact that everything that we do, from a standpoint of our 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 processes, our our hiring, our personnel, better support personnel for the players, coaches, and otherwise, all have the goal of maximizing the opportunity for these players, both as athletes and as people. And first, we want to build them up as people. And then he talked about the things that he does to to develop these 18, 19 year old unguided missiles into young men ready to step out into society, whether or not they play football after Alabama and have successful lives. And that was the foundation that he cited that people really don't give enough attention to as to why he's been so successful so consistently. He is not one of these coaches that some people out on social media believe they they do everything they can to get as much as they can out of the players so they themselves, the coaches, can get as much money as they can get. And the players are a tool for the coach. It's the other way around with Coach Saban, and it always has been. The coach has been a tool for the players. And those players who buy in become more coachable. They become more mature. And they become better football players in the process. That's what I've always loved about him. Let me run these numbers by you. 292, 
71 and 1. That was his record. 292 victories, 71 losses, one tie in 28 seasons. Greatest of all time? Well, I think so. Uh, I think so. And, and although there's different eras, people talk about Bear Bryant. Right, right. You know, and, and, you know, he is also one of the, if not the greatest of all time. Uh, but it was a different era. I mean, back then you could sign, you know, 150 players if you wanted to and, you know, keep them away from your opponents right. and all kinds of other stuff. And so, and then that's not that he had an unfair advantage. Coach Bryant is that, it's that, you know, it, it was a different, it was a different era. You know, just like the era we're stepping into now will be a different era from the one that Coach Saban is leaving, essentially, with NIL and eventually direct payment of players and two super conferences and, and everything that that means. So, but, but as I look at what he's been able to accomplish over the course of the, over the course of the years with different kinds of rosters, um, I think that with the consistency that he's done it, uh, if you ask me to name the one college football coach that's the greatest of all time, among those that I've seen, which is to say those in my lifetime, uh, it would be Nick Saban. Yeah, no doubt. Final thing here, Trevor, regarding this. So usually when we see a, a coach in his 70s, we're always thinking, okay, well, is this going to be it for him? Heck, from the NFL side, everyone's been saying this about Bill Belichick because they haven't had success, and is it time for him to step down? Uh, with Nick Saban, we really weren't thinking uh, that, oh, my goodness, it's here now. But in my point here, the matter is successor. You know, we haven't even thought about mm, when Nick Saban retires, who is going to take over at Alabama? Because he's been there for such a long time. You have the long storied history. You have the tradition and the success. And we always talk about Nick Saban's protégés, his assistant coaches, Kirby Smart, one of them, and there's so many others that have gone on to be successful head coaches and lead other universities. Where do you think Alabama goes, you know, from here? And could this be maybe the beginning of a major slide for the Tide after losing one of the greatest coaches of all time? Well, I really don't have a slide. I know it it gets harder when Kirby Smart has built the system that he has in Georgia, um, Ole Miss, and Lane Kiffin. For goodness sake, they only lost to Alabama and Georgia this year. He's got a, a great program rolling over there. I mean, things are just getting a whole lot harder um, to 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 you know win enough to stay on top of those people. Tennessee is getting better. There's all kinds of uh, all kinds of reasons why it, it's hard to stay consistent. But I will say this that. Um, it won't be Bill O'Brien, who was a former offensive coordinator there, former head coach of the Texans, who now is the offensive coordinator with the Patriots, uh, because quarterback Jalen Milrow of Alabama said that, um, he, he said that Bill O'Brien told him that he shouldn't be playing quarterback. He should be switching positions. And that's a huge chip on Milrow's shoulder that really kind of drove him to be successful this year. And so he was very public about that. I don't think Alabama would bring back. Bill O'Brien certainly to, to, to coach, uh, Jalen Milrow. Uh, I think that would be an interesting thing, but the, what, the name I hear most often is Oregon coach Dan Lanning. He was a defensive assistant. Uh, well, he was a graduate assistant at Alabama, but then became a defensive coordinator at Georgia. Uh, he's got a national championship ring. He, you know, has coordinated some of those great defenses there before going off to be the head coach at Oregon. And he would be a natural to come back to the SEC and coach Alabama. The problem is he was also talked about as a 
replacement for Jimbo Fisher when he was fired, a, you know, a month or two ago, whatever it was, at Texas A&M. And he, just, he didn't just say, no, I'm not interested in that job. He said publicly, this is the job I want. My family and I are happy here. It's not about money. I want to stay at Oregon. You know, he, he really just played up why he wanted to stay at Oregon. Now, you know, a few, few weeks after that or a month or so after that, if he up and bugs out for Alabama, nobody would blame him. But, you know, the question is, how sincere was he about making a life in Eugene, Oregon? But if he were to go to Alabama, it would be phenomenal, phenomenal for Alabama. You know, Dabo Sweeney of Clemson, because he played receiver. At, <laughs> excuse me. And Alabama is one people are talking about. But uh, hang on just one sec, TC. I got a cough here. No problem, brother. No problem. Trevor Maddich. Okay, got it. Go ahead. I'm back. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, you know, Dabo, um, you know, people talk about him coming over. He just signed a massive new contract that goes through 2031 or something like that. And apparently there's a, a clause in that contract where the buyout gets a lot bigger if he goes to Alabama. The thing about it, though, is that Alabama has more resources than Clemson does. And so I think Coach Sweeney would have to consider that uh, if he were being, uh, you know, if he got a phone call. And Mike Norvell at Florida State is another one. Having success there, turned that program around. Um, you know, he's shown he can be successful in the region. So that, there are some, some names out there that are really big names. I don't know that there's anybody there that they'll hire from within, but if, if any coach in the nation gets a phone call from Alabama, they have to at least listen. You know, one of the names that's floating out there is Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian. He was a right. offensive coordinator in Alabama. He won, I think, a national championship with them. Um, and, and now at Texas, the thing is, I think for Sark, Texas might be a better job than Alabama. First of all, you, the the whole thing of you don't want to you don't want to you know replace the guy. You want to replace the guy who replaces the guy. Right. You know you right. you know it's going to be awfully hard to come in you know with that kind of pressure to replace Nick Saban. But the thing is, Texas actually uh, I believe has greater resources from a standpoint of NIL and just money floating around that that's available to them that even Alabama might have. And so Texas coming into the SEC, uh, I think might be a better job for Sark. And so I, I would be surprised if he left to go to Alabama. And, you know, Lane Kiffin has always been a job chaser, right? I mean, he's always been that guy leaving to go to another place, another place. There's no better place to be than Alabama. We saw that with Nick Saban to a certain degree as well, too. Tried the NFL. He was at LSU for those years and then never left Alabama after that, after what we were 16, 17 seasons. Could Lane Kiffin, another assistant under Saban, in what was great offensively as offensive coordinator there, could he be a legitimate candidate? Would they consider I think him? he could be. Yeah, I, I, I think they might. The question is, what really happened when he was offensive court coordinator there and when he got bounced, what really happened? Why did he get bounced? Because remember that he accepted the job to coach uh, Florida Atlantic. And he ended up getting basically benched before the national championship game. Right. And the thing is, I mean, the, there's speculation as to why that might have been. Some people were saying that he was spending too much time assembling his new staff at FAU and all those different things and not paying enough attention to this upcoming national championship scenario. Uh, but if that were the case, all you have to do is don't say a word if you're Alabama. Just tell them, look, stick around, use our facilities if you want. Um, you know, help us out. We'll have somebody else actually be the offensive coordinator for this game. You help us out as much as you can, and we'll just keep everything on the down low. 
right? That's all he had to do because Coach Saban hates distractions. Instead, he fired him the week before the national championship game, literally fired him from the program, and that created a firestorm of a distraction. And so was it just that he wasn't spending enough time uh, game planning for this upcoming game? I, I don't know the answer to that. But if something was going on behind the scenes that offended Alabama Blue Bloods, the money people, the traditional people, the people that have been around there forever, uh, and they don't want him to come in with something that caused him to get, you know, fired for the first time around, it may be that that would keep him from getting that job. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I think Lane Kiffin is a phenomenal coach. I think it would be a home run hire just from a standpoint of a coach if they were to get Lane Kiffin away from Ole Miss. And it would be a home run for Lane Kiffin as well because of the resources that Bama has increased over what he's got at Ole Miss. But I just don't know if there's anything behind the scenes that would be a roadblock to that. Mm. Great stuff, Trev. Hey, my friend, appreciate it as always. Uh, it's been great all college football season uh, long. So uh, get yourself a little bit of rest, and uh, we look forward to you uh, you know, joining us here for the NFL side with the best bets, and, and uh, we'll talk uh, to you down the road. Great. I always appreciate you having me on. You do such a great job. Jeff does such a great job. I appreciate you guys and what you do, and and I'm very grateful to be a part of uh, a part of what you do. You, you've got a great show, a great cast of of characters that you rotate in, and and to be one of them, to be a part of it, feels like I'm on a team that I love being on. So thank you. I love it, brother. And like I said, just because you have character doesn't mean you are character. No, just because you are character doesn't mean you have character, as Winston Wolf said in Pulp Fiction. How's that? Oh. Well, let's hope I'm one or the other or both. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're, you are, my friend. Great character. Great guy. Appreciate you as always, my friend, and, and, and glad to have you with us. Go get some rest, brother. Thanks, DC. There he is, Trevor Maddich. He couldn't have said it any better. Fantastic. Whew. Nick Saban had more players drafted in the first round, 44, than he had losses, 29. How about that? And then Alabama had losses. Nick Saban's career overall again, we're going to repeat that number, 292 victories, 71 losses, and one tie. That's over 28 seasons of being a head coach of college football. He retires today, leaves Alabama with seven national championships, six at Alabama. And I remember, if you're old enough and you remember the Nick Saban saga when he was in college, Michigan State, LSU, and you know, he tried his hand at the NFL because he was a hot commodity, and he was kind of that poster child of like, well, see, what happens when a college coach tries to take over an NFL team? It usually doesn't work out that well. Yeah, it, he was a Miami Dolphins head coach, and it wasn't for him, and he returned back to college, and look what he did. He was downright phenomenal, uh, and he prepped his players for the National Football League. 49 first-round picks. 49 total first-round picks. Just uh, amazing. I've always admired him. I'd never understood the hate for him. And, you know, I'm always kind of that outlier. You know, there's a lot of fans out there that don't like dynasties. They don't like head coaches that win all the time. 
They don't like teams that win all the time. You know, for me, I'm just the opposite. You know, I'm a former coach myself. I love coaching. I love teaching. And I love guys that do that. I love guys that make it a family atmosphere. They have core values in there. They compete. They try to gain every advantage they can as a head coach. And if that means, you know, legal sign stealing and that sort of thing, hey, by all means, great. But the bottom line, really, your biggest satisfaction as a coach is the relationship with players. It, it really is. And then at the younger levels, at high school, in college, it's a relationship with players and their parents and their families and, you know, molding them for their futures, not just athletic futures, but everything. And to me, that's exactly what Nick Saban does. And if you ever got a chance to see him in action or meet him or see documentaries or, you know, long form program interviews, you know what he's all about, that he is a guy that develops chemistry amongst teammates and develops relationships and prepares his players for their futures, not just athletic futures, but their futures, period. That's what I love about Nick Saban. And as we get older and time passes on, there are fewer and fewer of those type of guys that get to hang on for a long period of time and excel at the highest level and do it. Nick Saban is leaving this year probably when the final rankings come out as maybe the number three or number four team in the country. All right. So Alabama had a fantastic year. I agree with Trevor. Nick Saban can make the argument that he had his best year as a head coach because not many people expected Alabama to win the SEC, to go to the college football playoff, and they beat Georgia, where many people thought Georgia was going to be a shoe-in, especially coming in the 29-game win streak. But Alabama beat them in the SEC championship game and basically had their opportunity, gave the game away against Michigan in that Rose Bowl in the semifinal game. So... Uh, congratulations to Nick Saban. Great coach. Phenomenal coach. No reason to hate on Nick Saban. None whatsoever. You know, 12 conference titles, 19 bowl games, 292 victories. Kind of from a selfish standpoint, obviously he didn't think about this. I would like to hang around one more season so he gets 300. And, you know, he doesn't need 300, but it sounds so much better, you know, than 292. But, hey, this was his time. We don't know what the reasoning is. We don't know if it was health. We don't know if he just said, hey, enough of everything else that's going on here with the way NCAA is, with NIL and college football playoff, all this other nonsense. Maybe he just wants to say, hey, you know what? Now's a great time to step down. We won a conference championship. Go out on a high. So we'll see how that all plays out uh, for him and what Alabama does. And then, same tone, Pete Carroll retires today. 14 seasons as a head coach with the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll, fantastic career at USC. You know, other stops, not as successful in the NFL, like with the Jets, Patriots. But, you know, Pete Carroll, um, he found his niche at SC, found his niche where basically just was able to continue on uh, with that same brand, that same hustle, that same motivation, that same energy, and brought it with him to Seattle. And Seahawks fans loved it. Seattle players loved it. And Pete Carroll got to win a Super Bowl there as well, too. So kind of a sad day as two of the legends, two Hall of Famers, 
Nick Saban and Pete Carroll both retire today. And uh, we'll miss them both. The Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame induction celebration is back Sunday, February 4th at the brand new venue at Thunder Valley Casino Resort. Join us as we induct the class of 2024. NBA champion Matt Barnes, all-star James Donaldson, Major League Baseball's Nick Johnson and Leon Lee, and world champion triathlete Jamie Whitmore. Get your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. For all info, go to SacSportsHOF.com. Hi, this is Dusty Baker, proud member of the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. You have to be there to see it at Thunder Valley casino now more from your favorite sports radio physician oh for crying out loud the, the doctor. doctor you watch your language on the air tc martin all right program reminder friday of course back at the westgate las vegas every friday year round and of course with uh special sporting events as well we're there Westgate Las Vegas inside the world famous Super Book. Come on by, see the show live. Plenty of great guests, great food. And of course, we get ready for NFL playoffs. We are here now. Six games this week. We have two games on Saturday, three on Sunday, and one on Monday night. So uh, we'll be previewing all that for you. And I forgot to ask Trevor how many games we should do for the best bets. Forgot to ask him. And and you were texting him during the whole break. I know. Like, come on, man. I know. Come on, man. You say three? I said two. You said two. I said two. G-Man, you know, he chimed in. He said three. I think th- that's half of your, half the schedule right there. No, I think it's two. It is two? I think it's two. I like consistency, though. I like consistency because we've done three all year, right? So I like that. And believe me, if it was only like, Four or five, I'd say no way. But because we're pretty tuned in to all these teams, you could probably make the case that you could find three and call them your best bets. That's 50% of the card. But initially, I got to say, coming into the show today, I was leaning towards one best bet. That's why I'm saying two. At least you're getting, at least you're getting, you know, you're not just picking one game. Yeah. Like, I see conference, like, you know, towards the end. Yeah. One. Yes. I think after this week, we're going to After go this one. week, it's one. I think yeah. this this week, you go two. Yeah. And you just enjoy it. And let it go. And then one. All right. The, um... <sighs> you, you want me to get Trevor back on and call him and see what it... Um, I think I'll text him. Okay. Or, or ask him. Yeah. We got to get him to, to, to chime in. We'll, we'll take a vote. We'll... Majority rules. How's that? We're a democratic society here. Deal. On this show, aren't we? Exactly. I don't know the difference between Republican and Democrat, though. I don't know what that yeah, means. How can people say we're a democratic society and they never say we're no a Republican? Just stop. Just no. stop. Is that Just politics? Stop. I mean, no politics. Republican, Democrat. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Is one like an elephant or something? What are their team colors? Is somebody's blue and white? Someone's red and white? Is anybody green? guy on the other side who uh you does you do political shows don't i you? am going to be yeah. the new yeah. alabama head coach you are going to be the new alabama head yeah. coach okay. I, I, i'm in negotiations is that the breaking right news? okay do you know do you know what that salary is let's go to a live on the spot reporter Numbchuck is standing right now outside of tuscaloosa alabama outside the uh creamery there that, that's that's ice cream stand uh there as well as uh the library there Numbchuck, uh what, what do you want to report as of 2007. As of 2007, well, okay. So since Am 2007. Am I going to have to do math here? You can do math. Okay, go ahead. Since 2007. Roll reversal here. Go ahead. 
Alabama paid Nick Saban yes. an average of $19,500 no, 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 no. a day. A, a, a day? A day. A day? A day. I thought you were going to say $19.5 million a season. I thought you were going to no. say so $19.5,000 a day. I don't think there's such thing as a $19.5,000. It's 19. 19 point, <laughs> there's 19, no point. There's no point. What it says here, 19.5, 19.5K. 19. 19. So, 19,500. Thank you. That's, that's proper English. There you go. 19,500. A day. A day. For his 17. 17 seasons. Do the math. Come on. 19,000. No, 19. 19,500 a day. You want that job? I would love that job because here's exactly what I would do. Oh, what would you do? Yeah. I, I would get all of my crew. Yeah. You, oh. Trevor, all of you people, Berline, yeah. all of them. Yeah. In the ear. Yeah. Over the, underneath the headphones. Yeah. And guess what I would do? I would call exactly what they're saying. Yeah. Because they're watching. We, we, the would, we would tell you what to do. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'd, you know, I'd throw you what? Five, 500 bucks a game? Five. You know, I mean, 19,000 a day and you're going to give me 500 bucks a game. I'll give you, fine, I'll give you 19 grand. 19 grand a game. A game? A game. Wait a minute, you're making 19,000 a day. I understand. You don't this. play every day. This I, isn't baseball. I understand this. You know, you know baseball, because you're talking about being a football coach. I understand this. I, I got to hold out for more. I need a million a week. A million a game. Done. Done. So coming down. But it's, a, it, so you got to split that with everybody. You guys split that with Perline. You guys split that with God, what Trevor. Is Would I have a commission job now? Is that what I got? Well, I'm going to have all of you in my ear. Yeah. You don't have that many ears. No, but I can have you all on conference yeah. call. Then Miss Heather won't, won't let you have all those in the ears because she's going to say, come over here and fix dinner. And I'm going to say, go over here. You got to go do the laundry. As long as Not I'm. Ju- come over here and fix the bathroom. As long as I'm making that amount of money, $120 Yeah. Million, yeah. yeah. I'm gold. You're gold. <laughs> That's a little bit more than you're making right now. Little just, just a tad. Just a tad. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. You know what I want to talk about here? Um, Brian Dayball, the Giants head coach, which you know I'm not a fan of. He's staying with the Giants. But defense coordinator Wink Martindale is not. Martindale Dayball got into an argument yesterday after <laughs> – uh, Dayball told Wink, hey, uh, your guys got fired. Now, uh, Martindale had to hear this secondhand that he wasn't uh, approached by this. The firings of two of his personnel on the defensive side of the ball, the Wilkins brothers. So what did Martindale do? Got in an argument, went off on Dayball, went off on him, slammed the door, left the building, didn't come back. Today, Giants made it official. That's right. Wink Martindale and the New York football giants have parted ways. Martindale now is free to sign elsewhere. Now, Martindale was under contract for next year, and he was going to make $3 million as their defensive coordinator. Now, he is known as one of the best defensive coordinators in football. Um, But there were rumblings there in New York. Well, maybe he blitzed too much. This wasn't working out. And they weren't on the same page. And uh, there was rumblings that things were split there, that his two assistants were scheming over Dayball and all this other kind of stuff. But uh, so he fired him without even talking to their supervisor, which is Wink Martindale. 
Martindale said, I'm not having it. And Martindale knows that he can go anywhere else. So the key was the $3 million. The giant says, you know what? Fine. Go. Goodbye. Uh, we're keeping the $3 million. We're not paying you. And you are free to seek employment elsewhere. And Martindale said, great. Done. Probably didn't come back clean out his, his stuff there. There it is. Where does Wink land? Oh, I will tell you right now. Wink will land somewhere this week. Yeah. It'll be that quick. But, you know, you got to go through the interview process and do go all that kind of stuff, you know. And, but, uh, yeah. And good for him. Because the Giants, it's not a great situation for him. Go somewhere else. How about Tennessee? They already got a pretty good defense. How about the Raiders? They had good defense this year. Depends all on what happens here. Yeah. Just because Raiders had a good defense this year doesn't mean anything. You know, you look at that soft schedule. You look, okay, you got a new head coach, new general manager. Things are going to change. How many of those guys are going to return? And there are some Raiders, players and coaching coaches right now that are getting looks elsewhere. We mentioned earlier in the show, Antonio Pierce is interviewing for the Tennessee Titans head coaching job. Mike Brabel fired yesterday after six seasons. So Antonio Pierce will get a look there. All right. As he is obviously getting a look here with Mark Davis to stay here as uh, the Raiders head coach. But, hey, Antonio Pierce is going to have some options. It's good to have options. Very good to have options. want to thank Kevin Kruger for joining us. Congratulations again. The Rebels win last night, 83-73 to Thomas and Mack. Impressive victory over New Mexico, who was 13-2 coming into that game. Steve Berline, great stuff with him from the NFL playoff side. Fantastic stuff, as usual, from Trevor Manage, our college football guru. Appreciate our crew. Appreciate our guys, the loyalty, the staff, the crew, our guests who give up their time and to join us each and every week. It's great. And now we turn the page and we start talking a lot of college basketball, of course, still intertwined with football, as we do here all the time. For Numbchuck, TC saying so long. Go to the website. Check it all out. TCMartShow.com. Go to the website. Hear yesterday's interview with Paul Gutierrez. Very informative all about the Raiders coaching, general manager, and quarterback situations, and some great movie references, music, and Brady Bunch. Have <laughs> yourself a good one. We're back at it tomorrow at 2.